You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this evening. We begin with the dramatic news of a verdict for Ibrahim Ali. He is guilty of first-degree murder in the death of a young girl in a Burnaby Park more than six years ago. Ramina Dea has been following this lengthy case all along and joins us now live. Ramina, it did not take long for the jury to decide guilt. Chris, there is nothing quite like being in a courtroom on verdict day. It is a powerful moment. It's unpredictable. The stakes high for both sides. In this case, unprecedented timing in my experience. Five hours roughly in the deliberation room and boom, a guilty verdict. The father of the young teen was sitting in the first row. He was extremely emotional when the foreperson of the jury read that one word, guilty. Ibrahim Ali, the accused, no visible emotion from him in courtroom 53. Um, sorry, it's been a long day, Chris. Um, I was just going to add that there were uh, extra sheriffs in the courtroom that were brought in for security. Uh, Ali's lawyers had been facing death threats during the trial. Members of the public were in tears when they heard the word guilty. The Canadian court has achieved its justice and the Canadian people has achieved its justice today. I'm so happy about that. The, the pain will never end, but we have confidence in our justice system. We are so happy to see that justice finally been served today. It's a remarkable. Now, Ali pleaded not guilty back in the spring, the trial now in its ninth month. The case captured international headlines after the young teen's partially nude body was discovered in Burnaby Central Park more than six years ago now. Now, Crown said that the evidence would prove the girl was sexually assaulted and strangled to death. Ali's DNA found inside the teen. Ali's lawyers had argued Crown's theory was, quote, crazy, the case circumstantial. Defense's position all along was that Ali and the teen had consensual sex, but he did not kill her. Someone else did. Now, let's get back to the verdict for a moment, Chris. Roughly 20 minutes after deliberations began yesterday, the 12 jurors had a question for the judge. They asked for clear definitions with regards to murder and manslaughter. The hours ticked by. They didn't get an answer from the judge until late this afternoon. Minutes later, they delivered a verdict of guilty. It is amazing. Nine months and so many twists and turns in this case. We're not quite mm -hmm. at the end yet. What happens next? Well, next will be sentencing. Um, there'll be a hearing where victim impact statements will be read. Presumably the family will be, um, will, will have comments for the courts in that matter. Um, the thing is, though, as far as sentencing goes, it's automatic when you're talking about first degree. It's an automatic life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 25 years. I was in contact with the teen's family today. They've asked for some privacy at this time and will maybe make some comments in the future. Counsel for both sides did not want to say anything today. Back to you. What a day for the family and I'm sure mm -hmm. thankful at least for this verdict. Ramina, thank you very much. That's Ramina Dea reporting for us. Now, investigators are releasing the name of one of the victims of a double homicide in Richmond and they are sharing a picture, although it's a grainy one, 
of a suspect. As Paul Johnson reports, they're looking for anyone with more information on who could have killed a father and his 13-year-old son. A blurry image of a figure leaving the scene the night of the murders. Not a great pick, but better than no lead at all. This person was wearing a dark coat, a white hat, a full face mask, balaclava-style face mask, dark, and was wearing light blue jeans. A week after the killings, IHIT was back in this South Richmond neighborhood with another plea to the public. Share what you may have to help find the killer. One or two exits kind of to this direction. We can see one right there. On Friday, IHIT spokesman Timothy Parati led us into the London Fields Recreation Area, a large space near the crime scene where they believe the suspect went before leaving the area. Take a close look at this map. If you or anyone you know was in the park or the vicinity on the night of November 30th between 8.30 and 9, IHIT wants to hear from you. We're going to have video of people coming and going from the park, and if we can clarify who those people are, maybe they didn't know they saw something, but we know that they crossed paths with somebody. Also helpful, anyone who may have parked in the area that night with a car that has a dash cam, police want to see your video. And if you have a problem retrieving it, they'll send someone to figure it out. If they can provide us any insight on who would want to do this to a 46-year-old man and a 13-year-old boy. Friday also saw a release of the adult victim's name. He was 46-year-old Derek Chen. The other victim was his 13-year-old son, whose name has not been released. Neighbors told Global News the family had been in that home a long time and included the mother and two other boys. IHIT says the victims were the only ones home at the time, and they know what kind of weapon was used, though they declined to release that. The image of a masked suspect leaving the scene further corroborates their initial theory that the killings were targeted. There's a family right now that's going through the unimaginable, that have suffered such a loss. So if you know someone who may have been in this park, we ask you to please do contact them and check with them. Where were you? In Richmond, Paul Johnson, Global News. A man pleaded guilty today in a gruesome machete attack last year. The stranger assault nearly decapitated a woman visiting Vancouver. As Alyssa Tebow reports, the victim finally feels like she can move on. A terrifying and traumatic chapter in a woman's life came to an end today after she was nearly decapitated in a horrific stranger attack while visiting Vancouver. The man who slashed her with a machete has pleaded guilty to attacking her and another man. Kenneth Solowen appeared in court today on two counts of aggravated assault stemming from a violent incident on the downtown east side in June of last year. There is a publication ban on some details on this case, but what we can tell you is that without warning, Solowen slashed two people with a machete while they were loading luggage into the back of a cab. One of the victims, Casey Unolis, was struck on the back of the neck. She suffered nerve damage and required a large number of stitches. A 49-year-old man also suffered non-life-threatening injuries. While in recovery, Casey said she felt she was lucky to be alive. Solowen was arrested in August, but weeks later became the subject of a province-wide warrant. Police said he vanished while out on bail. He was rearrested in Mission in October of last year and has been in custody ever since. 
Casey tells me she's too emotional to speak on camera just yet, but issued this statement after the pleas were entered. Thank you to the people who have supported me on this journey. It's been a very long fight. I feel like I can actually close the book and start a new chapter. I've been longing for closure for a long time. It feels beautiful to finally have peace for my friends and my family. A weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I can now start all over again safely and securely. The case will return to court on Monday to set a date for sentencing. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Vancouver police officers will soon become the highest paid in the country. Sources tell Global News VPD union members have approved a new contract by a 97% margin. Under the deal, they'll receive a 4.5% wage increase in each of the two years. A first-class officer will now earn about $122,000 a year. Members will also see benefit improvements in extended health care, fertility coverage and parental leave. That comes as the force is on a recruitment drive to hire another 60 officers. And after years of debate, the Vancouver Police Department will become the first in the province to wear body cameras. As Kristen Robinson reports, the VPD hopes the cameras will benefit both police and civilians. Vancouver police plan to roll out body-worn cameras in January, equipping about 100 North Patrol District and traffic enforcement officers in a six-month trial. We believe that it will strengthen public safety and it will enhance uh, the trust, transparency and, and police accountability that we have with the public. Expediting the implementation of body cameras for all VPD patrol officers was recommended by the Miles Gray Coroner's Inquest jury, which deemed the 33-year-old's death a homicide. Gray died in a violent confrontation with police in 2015. Seven officers, the only witnesses. Body cameras have the potential to clear civilians. In this case, two brothers were acquitted of assaulting a VPD officer when their own video proved police threw the first punch. Help! Help! While also protecting police from false accusations. Police criticized for arresting this man in front of his young son, the father was wanted for criminal harassment, and the VPD says body-worn cameras would have shown he was resisting arrest. It'll show exactly what happened anytime somebody does have interaction with a police officer. BC's Premier says body cameras have real benefits, but also create a significant volume of data that needs to be managed to avoid unintended delays in the criminal justice system. Making sure that the costs uh, and the weight of disclosing everything uh, doesn't outweigh the benefits of these or uh, the work that the Solicitor General uh, is uh, doing with police services as they look at this uh, this important initiative. Picture is worth a thousand words, videos are worth uh, many more than that. BC's police watchdog says body cameras would not only increase transparency in their investigations, but also expedite timelines. But there's no question that uh, uh, excellent and relevant video evidence can certainly help us understand what has actually happened in an incident and on many occasions can help us come to conclusions about that incident much more quickly than uh, without it. The VPD is inviting the public to provide feedback on the body camera pilot. Two virtual town hall meetings are set for next week. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An agreement has been reached between Metro Vancouver mayors and the federal government on development charges that have the potential to potentially stifle new rental construction. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria now with more on this. Richard? 
Back in October, Chris, uh, Sean Fraser, the federal housing minister, was supposed to be making an announcement in Burnaby and Surrey. It was going to be $143 million out of the federal government's housing accelerator fund. But right before the announcement, the federal government said the money wasn't coming. The reason? Metro Vancouver was planning on charging DCDs, development cost charges. But after two months of wrangling, there's now been an agreement. Sean Fraser, the federal minister, sending a letter to George Harvey, the chair of the Metro Vancouver board, saying he is now confident they can proceed with the money, partly because of all of the changes the provincial government is making around housing, but also because of a change Metro Vancouver has put in. Global News has obtained a letter. Let me read it to you in part. Fraser writes to Harvey, I am glad to see that you will conduct annual reviews of the DCC bylaws and the waiver program to ensure that development cost charge increases are not impacting the building of more rental supply. And then it concludes, for these reasons, I look forward to moving forward with the Housing Accelerator Fund agreements with municipalities in the region who have submitted eligible applications. Here's BC Housing Minister Ravi Kalon. These infrastructure dollars are critical. Uh, and to ensure that we can meet the housing needs that we have in our communities, the targets that we've set. And so knowing that the uh, housing accelerator fund will flow to communities is a very big step. When the money will come, Minister Callon says expect the federal government to make some visits here in Metro Vancouver soon. We expect Burnaby and Surrey will be first on the list, but other communities in Metro Vancouver could be... As for Chair George Harvey, in a statement, he says he is thankful the federal government is back at the table as all levels of government tried to hit very ambitious housing targets for much-needed housing here in British Columbia. We need it as quick as we can get it, Richard. <laughs> Thanks very much and have a good weekend. All right, the time has finally come. Metro Vancouver could see its first significant snowfall of the season over the weekend. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with the details. Christy. Chris, uh, Environment Canada issuing this, a special weather statement for the east parts of Vancouver Island, Sunshine Coast, and Metro Vancouver today. Why not a snowfall warning? Because this isn't a slam dunk, but we absolutely have the possibility of a period of snow. Let me show you. So through the morning hours, we're going to see increasing cloud, rain developing across the region with temperatures milder, but there'll be a period in the afternoon for Metro Vancouver that the temperature will drop. Part of that is because of the intensity of the precipitation. And so so a transition to snow is possible and we know that Saturday afternoon a lot of people will be out on the roads so we're really making sure that everyone knows snow is a possibility or wet snow tomorrow afternoon timeline is different for Vancouver Island I'll show you that when I come back Chris all right we'll check in a little bit later thanks very much Christy birth control freebies and how many British Columbians took advantage plus teens in turmoil a groundbreaking report reveals a critical call for youth mental health support in BC. That's next on the News Hour. John Britton is a mass murderer, and this is how he's being treated, and I don't think that's fair. Why a man who went on a killing spree in Penticton is being moved out of maximum security prison. Plus, Vancouver's tiny shelter village finally set to open its doors, the latest on an innovative project to tackle homelessness and who gets to live there coming up. Right now, though, the province says there has been quite a positive uptake in the pharmacist's expanded care program. 
Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the numbers. And Keith, one of the details we got today is about the number of people who are accessing free contraception. Yes, quite remarkable. So back in the spring, the government announced, of course, free contraception and also an expansion of uh, prescription powers for pharmacists to be able to treat almost two dozen minor ailments. No one knew exactly how big the pickup would be, but here's the numbers. As of uh, April 1st to November 28th, 300,000 people have taken advantage of this. Uh, well, almost 1,400 pharmacies are participating in this. 188,000 free contraceptives have been handed out and 132,000 people have been treated for minor ailments. The most Common ailments, a lot of people can relate to this, are allergies. That's one of the most common ailments to, to go see a pharmacist. Also, urinary tract uh, infections and conjunctivitis, which is an eye infection. So, again, this is the latest update for a new program in BC, first of its kind in Canada. Two more stats I'll throw at you, Chris, we got today. The flu uh, vaccination update, 1.42 million people have got the flu vaccine and about 1.25 million have got the COVID update. So, again, pharmacists are recommending very strongly, we're still in a respiratory illness season, go get your vaccine vaccinations everybody's going to those holiday parties you know it's going to help yeah. thanks very exactly. much keith appreciate it a warning about the mental health of teenagers in this province today a simon fraser university study spoke to thousands of them and it shows an urgent need for support and treatment targeting young people kylie stanton has more students have 12 years to come up with an answer to this question what do you want to be when you grow up I'm thinking about software engineering, a uh, hockey player. I want to become a lawyer. I'm looking at marine biology. But putting those plans into action and preparing for the future can be a heavy burden to carry. And a new report shows it's taking a toll. There were poor trends in youth mental health even before the pandemic, but the pandemic has really exacerbated those trends. The annual Youth Development Instrument report surveyed nearly 15,000 young people in 28 school districts and 28 independent schools throughout the province. It found 38% of respondents screened positive for depression, 39% for generalized anxiety, and more than a third of teens reported needing but not seeking professional mental health care in the last six months. None of this, though, surprising to the group itself. That seems pretty accurate, yeah. I see it a lot in my school. Things are worrying them that, uh, that are just out of their control. The report shows youth are facing a variety of unique stressors coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Everything from climate change and pollution to crime and racial inequality. But the big one, at least here in BC. Young people are worried about housing. Price of housing. Housing? Uh, I worry about housing here. I don't think I could live here forever because... I just don't think I can afford it when I when I graduate. The question now is how to use the data to inform change and better support youth going forward. There are things like community belonging, supporting um, a sense of purpose among youth, um, having adults in the community uh, that they can turn to um, when they're facing challenges. But in order to really see improvements, it's important teens remember it goes both ways. It's hard to reach out, but... We know we have to sometimes. Yeah. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And a reminder, if you are struggling, the helpline for children is 310-1234. It's toll-free from anywhere in the province to access emotional support, information, and resources specific to mental health and substance abuse. Again, that is available 24 hours a day. 
the search for truth in the death of Chelsea Caw. The police have a, a duty at law to protect human life. Loved ones worried investigators could have done more to find her alive. Good evening and good news. Final clearing stages of a crash here in Burnaby, eastbound on Highway 1, just before Kensington in the middle lane. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $30 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. The RCMP are being investigated over the way they handled the case of a missing Indigenous woman who later turned up dead. As Catherine Urquhart reports, people in Vanderhoof complained police were not taking her disappearance seriously because she was Indigenous. 29-year-old Chelsea Kwa vanished October 11th near Vanderhoof. Her body wasn't found until November 5th. Now the case has prompted an investigation by BC's IIO, the Independent Investigations Office. Kwa was last seen on the Seika's First Nation, about 85 kilometers west of Prince George. Disappearing like this isn't, isn't like Chelsea at all. She, she has her dog Pepper that she would never, ever, ever leave. And she was making plans to go hunting, like, recently. There's just no way she would just leave. In the days that followed, her family said the disappearance was not taken seriously due to her being Indigenous. They called for more resources to be deployed. We need the RCMP to consider it more, take it more seriously, bring in more manpower. That is all my family wants. The RCMP said they fully investigated Kwa's disappearance, but never found her. Then, in early November, a civilian discovered evidence of her body in a wooded area within one kilometer of where she was last seen alive. Her body was located soon after. The IIO is investigating how police responded to a wellness check. The issue that we are investigating is what steps, if any, did the police take um, and uh, were they uh, are reasonable steps to be taken in the circumstances? Chelsea's death is also being investigated by the RCMP and the coroner. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Canada's justice system is under fire yet again, this time from outraged families of the victims of a mass murderer in Okanagan. As Aaron MacArthur reports, they're upset the man who shot their loved ones is being moved out of maximum security after less than three years. We've suffered plenty and we still to this day continue to suffer. And uh... Tanya Steele is incensed. Last week, Corrections Canada called to inform her that the man who murdered her father is being transferred out of his maximum security prison into a medium security facility. John Britton is a mass murderer, and this is how he's being treated, and I don't think that's fair. April 15th, 2019, John Britton killed Rudy Winter, shooting him five times at point-blank range. Britton then drove to his ex-wife's home and killed three more of her neighbors. According to the sentencing report, the mass murder sparked by nothing more than common neighbor disputes. Britain pleaded guilty to three counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. In 2020, he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. Less than three years later, he's been given an upgrade for good behavior. 
He has a lot more rights now in medium, I'm told. My husband doesn't have the right to be out in the sun anymore. He doesn't have a right to go around on a track or go to a gym or anything like he does. He can't do that anymore. Corrections Canada refused to comment on the transfer, citing prisoner privacy, but writes on its website, in medium security penitentiaries, inmates are more responsible for day-to-day -day life. There is more interaction with other inmates. It prepares inmates for minimum security and has the same security safeguards as maximum security. Let's say another two years, they reassess them again, or four years, they reassess them again, and now he moves to minimum security, and seriously, that's punishment for murdering four people? Tanya and her mother take comfort in the fact that Britain won't be released from prison until he's in his 90s. He will quite likely die in jail. But by speaking out, hope changes can be made to ensure other families don't have to go through a similar ordeal. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, the launch of a long-awaited temporary solution to homelessness. We're just excited to get folks off the street, get them sheltered, and get them clicked and connected to support. How these tiny shelters can be an alternative to tent cities and why it took too long to build them. Plus, a grief support charity overwhelmed by demand. How you can help lighten the load this holiday season. Jason, me, and the entire Global News Morning Team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. Big delays here in North Delta for eastbound traffic on Nordell Way. Just before the pedestrian overpass, there's a stalled dump truck in the right lane, and traffic is absolutely gridlocked trying to get by. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $30 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a stalled dump truck in North Delta. The city of Vancouver is launching a two-year pilot project with tiny shelters next week. The shed-like structures are not a solution to end homelessness, but the city says it is a step in the right direction. Travis Prasad takes us on a tour. They all come with their own cool, unique address. With winter weather approaching, relief for some of the city's most vulnerable. We're standing in the living quarters of one of the tiny shelters. Ten tiny shelters for a total of 18 people. We're just excited to get folks off the street, get them sheltered and get them clicked and connected to supports. This whole uh, fire safety system is interconnected to the main shelters. Located near Clark Drive and Terminal Avenue, each unit is heated, air conditioned and secured with a locking door. Bathrooms and kitchens are available at the Klahawia Tillicum shelter next door. So this is a really unique opportunity for couples, underserved, unhoused couples to come in and shelter together. The City of Vancouver pilot project, long awaited and long overdue. The previous City Council approved it nearly two years ago. Opening date pushed from fall 2022 to spring 2023, then again to fall 2023. That's too long. I mean appreciate that it's here, appreciate the work and the, and, and the lived experience that's gone into designing it, but we need really rapid shelter solutions to deal with folks who are experiencing homelessness right now. When asked what took so long. Definitely a learning process. City staff say they've never done something like this before. One of two accessible units found in, in this particular building here. And while the contracted um, builder prefabricated the shelters quickly enough. As the project came along, we realized that there are some elements that need to happen on site, um, ensuring 
that there's safety features in place, ensuring that foundations were built. The city earmarked $1.5 million for the two-year initiative, 500,000 of that going towards construction. We did go a little bit over budget, but we have yet to finalize all of the costs. It's been a complicated undertaking, and I think it does point to one of the challenges with trying to deliver this on a local government scale, when it really is the kind of thing that we'd like to see the provincial government step in with. Luma has a short list of suitable shelter tenants. People are expected to move in next week. Travis Prasad, Global News. Christmas is supposed to be a happy, joyous time with friends and family, but that's difficult for many people who have lost a loved one. A local charity is helping people through their grief, and as Janet Brown reports, the demand has never been higher. Music helps nine-year-old Audrey Patterson deal with the grief of losing her dad. Jeff Patterson died in January of last year from liver failure at the age of 41. This time of year, just being so close to this death anniversary is uh, very hard. Audrey's mother, Emily, says grief can be isolating. I think it's because it's so, especially in Western culture, it's so uncomfortable for people to talk about, even just how every day you ask someone, oh, hi, how are you doing? And the response is always, I'm great, thanks. There's the tie you made him for Father's Day. <laughs> for many who have lost a loved one, the holiday season can be a struggle, especially for children. One of the most highly vulnerable and underserved um, populations to experience grief are the thousands of young people who will experience the death of a parent or sibling before they turn 18. Dr. Heather Mohan co-founded Lumera, a charity that provides grief and bereavement care to children and families. In this time of year, we're just particularly aware that more than ever, we don't want people to be grieving alone. And, um, because we feel that that increases their risks for negative kind of long-term consequences. And she says the need for help has never been greater. The number of counseling support services sessions are on pace right now for a record high. In 2022 to 2023, just over 1,100 people were helped, and the year before that, nearly 800. Everyone's going to have grief in their life at some point. It's inevitable we're all unfortunately going to lose someone we love, and all the better if, if the world around us is prepared to help us through it. And the message she has for anyone struggling through grief and sadness right now? I hope that it helps even just one other person going through a similar situation to know that there's help out there and that they're not alone. Janet Brown, Global News. We'll have the latest on the snow in the forecast coming up. And in sports, the Shohei Otani sweepstakes and how the Blue Jays could land the game's best player. Good news for skiers and snowboarders. Local mountains are gearing up for the winter season. Grouse Mountain actually opened for the season this afternoon. The opening is limited with the Paradise Run and Jib Park opening with access using the Greenway chair for another couple of hours until 9 p.m. Operating hours will extend from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. starting tomorrow. And this year, the mountain has downloadable digital passes that you can pre-buy before heading to the sky ride and hitting the slopes. And you can also get your ski and sky ride passes at guest services at the bottom of the mountain. But they're very likely getting some fresh pow up there in the next uh, mm -hmm. couple of days anyway. Here's the latest from Christy. 
Absolutely. And we have the potential even lower down. So I just want to give you the timeline again for Metro Vancouver. In the morning, we're expecting rainfall. In the afternoon, that's when we have the potential for that drop in temperature. And precipitation will be so heavy during that time that we could see rapidly accumulating snow. Don't head out on the streets if you're not prepared for that in the afternoon. In the evening, though, temperatures are expected to warm up. We're not expecting this snow to stick around for very long. Here's the timeline. So stopping it at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, most of Metro Vancouver and most of the south coast just rainfall. Parts of Campbell River could see some snowfall, but it's around noon till about 6 p.m. that we have the potential for that transition to snow. You can see that finger of cooler conditions across the south or across the lower mainland region. Shifting it to to about 6 p.m. tomorrow evening, that's when we have a potential of some snowfall in the Nanaimo through the Malahat area, the Cowichan Valley region, whereas as we continue through the evening hours, most areas will see that transition to snow. So these are the areas that have a potential far less for the lower elevations. We're talking about nothing to maybe six centimeters in localized areas and then up to 10 for the higher elevation regions. Again, this is a brief period in the afternoon. Key areas will be watching across Vancouver Island Nanaimo, Cowichan Valley, down through the Malahat. We're also expecting snowfall for the interior regions, uh, 2 to 4 centimeters for the Okanagan Valley, for example, and 10 to 20 centimeters for the North Coast region with windy conditions as well. It will also be windy through the Caribou Central Interior and down through the south, so watch for blowing snow across the region, and that will reduce visibility on the road. So do not head out in the afternoon tomorrow without being prepared for the potential for some snowfall. Everyone has been warned by now, right? Uh, Sunday, though, we are looking at periods of rain, milder conditions. So it's a brief period, but certainly could cause chaos on the roads. All right, Samantha sharing this with us, which I had to sort of figure out what it was initially. But she said it's a painted window with this beautiful scene in the background. Very nice. Thank you to Samantha for that in Kamloops. All right. It all makes sense now because I see a glimpse of that monitor down here in the studio. And I was like, what is going on with that photo? I know. Very cool. <laughs> All right, Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports, and Shohei Otani watch continues. Well, Christmas did not come early for Toronto <laughs> Blue Jay fans today. I know they thought maybe there's a chance that Shohei Otani is going to fly from L.A. to Toronto and sign the contract. It didn't happen. But last night, Canuck fans were happy with the way Casey DeSmith played. We'll talk about that. All right, look forward to that. Thanks, Squire. Also coming up... Satellite debris. Caught red-handed, Mr. Cambrough. Squires back with sports. Take it away. I will. I will. <laughs> there is no more important position on a hockey team than goaltenders. Sure, you need guys who can score. You need guys who can check. But as the Edmonton Oilers showed us earlier this season, you can have the best player in the universe. But if your goaltending is awful, you're not going to win many games. Last night, the Canucks started their game against Minnesota like an old car on a cold day. So they needed Casey DeSmith to be the savior until the rest of their players got the act, their act together. And he did do that. In fact, he posted a 2-0 shutout win. He's now 5-2-1 with the Canucks this season. What was more impressive was the fact he hadn't played a game in almost two weeks, and he was on it right from the beginning. 
Yeah, that's kind of always been, you know, one of my things. It's, I've always kind of been somebody who can go a long, long way off and, and hop back in there and do my job, and I take a lot of pride in that, um, you know, supporting the team, supporting Demmer, um, just kind of doing my part for the team, part for the cause. Today, a private jet was tracked by a whole lot of Blue Jay fans the way NORAD tracked Santa Claus on Christmas Eve. Many believing, or at least hoping, that inside that jet that was going from Santa Ana, California to Toronto was superstar free agent Shohei Otani, the Babe Ruth of the 21st century, and he was about to sign a deal with the Blue Jays. Instead, it was probably just some rich guy who can't hit a curveball or much less throw one. Apparently, Otani never left Los Angeles, and he hasn't made a decision on which team he wants to sign with. A lot of people still think the most likely scenario is he'll make a short move from the L.A. Angels to the L.A. Dodgers. But Toronto is still very much a possibility. So with no Otani signing in Toronto, that means the biggest Canadian baseball transaction today was Maple Ridge outfielder Tyler O'Neill, a Langley Blaze alumnus, being traded from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Boston Red Sox. Now, he first played in the majors in 2018 with the Cardinals, had 34 homers in 2021. That was his healthiest season to date. He's won two Gold Glove awards for his defensive work, but he's been hit with injuries a bit more than you'd like the last couple of years. I would think, and the Boston Red Sox are thinking this as well, if he can stay healthy in 2024, he will be one of the key players for the Red Sox. This is an interesting event, the Grant Thornton Invitational from down in Florida. 16 teams, one PGA player, one LPGA player together. And Nick Taylor of Abbotsford is in it. He's playing with Angel Yin. And uh, they did okay today. They're tied for third at 14 under par. Nelly Corda and Tony Finau are the team with the lead at 16 under par. Today was scramble. Tomorrow it is alternate shots. All right. The Seattle Seahawks have lost four of their last five. They had a great chance to upset Dallas last Thursday, but they couldn't do it. They should have beaten the Rams on November 19th, but during this skid, their record has dropped to 6-6. Six and six. And this Sunday, they're in San Francisco, and they'll need to be beyond their best to beat the 49ers, who are true Super Bowl contenders. And the 49ers did beat the Seahawks 31-13 two weeks ago. Uh, we need to make a push here to, to, to make some noise in, for this season, and it's, this is our first shot, so we're going for it. It's a championship opportunity in every way, and it uh, um, wasn't too long ago we were down there in the playoffs, you know, so we, we know what this is going to feel like and what it's going to be like, and we've got to take advantage of it. I'd love to say I like their chances, mm -hmm. but I don't like their chances. <laughs> this could be tough against them. It could be a lot of good football this weekend. Oh, there will be. No doubt. Sure. Okay, thanks very much, Squire. We're back uh, straight ahead with satellite debris. Breaking news to developing stories. We have teams in the field in some of the worst hit areas of this province. Global news is as local as it gets. No one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust with the stories that matter most to British Columbians. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News.
BC's news doesn't end when the news hour does. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in our newsroom with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, it only just gets started. The premier is weighing in on victim blaming and female shaming in the justice system. David Eby says violence against women has been on the rise and it's more important than ever that they feel comfortable in the court system. He says recent stories have been corrosive to people's confidence. Lots of attention, of course, on this topic in recent weeks, ever since a judge cited a marital intimacy deficit in giving a man no jail time for spy cams hidden in a toothbrush charger. At 11, what EB says is being done about this issue. Chris. Look forward to that. Okay, thanks very much, Jordan. Here we go. Let's end the News Hour week on a high note with satellite debris. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to start with a Christmas commercial. This is actually from Air Canada. They're going to put a tear in your eye, but not for the reasons you might think. Okay. <laughs> I think their bags that got there, That was very too. nice. <laughs> oh, what'd you say? The bags? Did bags the bags make it? Too. They bags made it, too. That's good. All right, so, um, <laughs> all right, let's do something a little more fun. Well, that was fun, but in a different way. Uh, some meerkats selling insurance. Wow, wow, wow. Caught red-handed, Mr. Andrew. You commit, you, you. You commit serious crime against cooking. What a waste. Andrew? I'm sorry you had to see this, miss. Hmm, I think you two better come with us. Thank goodness for Meerkat Meals. Dine out at all kinds of restaurants with Meerkat app when you buy through Compare the Market. <laughs> that was good. done by a company called um, Passion Pictures. And I found something they also did. This is not a commercial. This just is a little... Christmas film they put together. So here we go. So to look.
Pretty talented. Four bullets. There you go. That's right. Happy, uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. It's Happy Hanukkah right now for a lot yes. of people. Right. All right. Might be some snow for it too. Christy's got the details. Yeah, so this is uh, mainly a rain event through the morning hours and even into the afternoon for some areas. But certainly the possibility is there for pockets to see that snowfall in the afternoon. And because it's right during Christmas shopping time in the afternoon on mm -hmm. Saturday, we're really making sure everyone is aware. Yeah, thanks for the warning. And let's hope you got the tires changed, all of you out there mm -hmm. uh, at the right time already. Thanks very much for watching. Hope you have a great weekend, everybody.